Hi there. Hello. All right. Welcome to the podcast. And for everyone just tuning in, welcome to Brolic Whiskey, where we talk about all things whiskey in a non-snobby way. I am here with one of my long-term... I, I'm a little fanboy on this one right now. I'm, I'm introducing Nathan from scotchnoob.com. So welcome to the podcast, Nathan. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> Absolutely. And I seriously, I, I bring up your your blog more often than basically any other website out there right now because I I do say that you are a big influence on how I got into learning about whiskey. Um, when I first started out drinking, you know, I was black label was about Johnny Walker black, I should say is about as high as I ever drank. Um, but once I started branching out a little bit, you know, you start to get overwhelmed when you go to a store and you're mm-hmm. like, wow, there's, I don't know what to pick up. And what I would start doing was just look out like two or three different whiskeys and just Google search it with whatever the title was plus review behind it. And your site kept popping up in the beginning. So what I would do is I'd start reading your stuff. And at first I would just take blind recommendations from you. Like, okay, he says not, it's not a good one. So I'm going to pass on this one. All right. He said, this one's a must try. I'm going to try it out. The more I got into trying the ones you recommended versus the ones you said not to, the more I realized I had a similar tasting palette as you in the sense of if you liked it more than likely, I'm probably going to like it too. Mm. And I always say that's super important to anyone that's in, getting into whiskey is like, don't just blindly follow someone because taste is so subjective. Absolutely. You and I might agree and love something, but everyone else tries and they're like, this is horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll tell you, every, every review that I have ever done, uh, I think there's somebody in the comments who's like completely disagreeing with me. And that's fine. I mean, that's totally uh, understandable. For sure. As long as you're not a dick about it. <laughs> yeah, well, <that> happens too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, taste obviously is subjective. So just because everyone else likes McAllen 12 doesn't mean I'm going to like it too. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, with that being said, how exactly did you personally get into whiskey? Uh, yeah. So let's see. Um, it would have been back in around 2010. Um, my, my brother-in-law actually was taking, uh, he went to, to Berkeley in California and he was, uh, he took a whiskey appreciation class. Now they didn't have that when I went to college. So, wow, <laughs> I know, right. Um, it, it was taught by, um, a guy, uh, Finn, who, who was a part-time Diageo rep and had a bunch of other odd jobs. And he's written a book on uh, Irish whiskey. Um, anyway, so he introduced my brother-in-law to single malt and Irish whiskey and all these things that, uh, that he'd never particularly cared about in the past. But, you know, when you're, when you're taking electives and you see whiskey appreciation and you're, uh, you know, a 21 year old male, college male, like, yeah. you know, that's an easy decision, right? Grab the attention real quick yeah. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so he, uh, he in turn introduced me cause I was asking him about, um, when I heard about it, I, I was at the same time, I was kind of getting interested in, um, uh, going beyond just drinking wine and beer and cocktails. Um, and at the time my cocktails, you know, would have been things like rum and Coke and, um, uh, you know, vodka cranberry. Yeah, yeah, and um, so I wasn't drinking very, you know, interesting stuff at the time. But I was curious about it. I wanted to know about 
uh, cognac and about uh, bourbon and things like that. So I asked him, knowing he was taking this class, and he he said, "All right, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take you to the store and I'll pick out three whiskeys that you should buy." I was like, "All right, sure." So he he had me buy, um, and he's kind of an extremist in this kind of stuff. So he had me buy Laphroaig Ten, um, the nice. Aberlauer Abenath, and uh, I think a Balvenie. And so my first single malt ever, and you know, maybe my fourth or fifth ever whiskey of any kind was Laphroaig 10. And nice. that's kind of like diving into the deep end, you know. Um, <laughs> but what surprised me, and luckily I already liked smoked foods and things like that. So it wasn't a, you know, a, um, an off taste uh, initially, like it can be for some people. Um, and I was just surprised at how I could taste the quality uh, as opposed to like, you know, blended whiskeys I'd had before or, or bourbons that I'd shot. And I could just taste how well-crafted it was, uh, how many, how complex it was and how, when I swallowed it, I didn't have that, you know, that, that um, cringe feeling or that, uh, yeah. that, that, that blah, like want to vomit. You know? yep. Yeah. I didn't have that. And I was like, this is, this is a whole new world. <laughs> and so I, I, I started reading about it online. I watched uh, Ralphie videos. Uh, I got a couple of books, uh, Michael Jackson's book and um, Charles McLean, uh, a couple others. And I just, I just wanted to know more and more about whiskey, about what, what different kinds of, of uh, single malts there were. Uh, and then soon after, you know, what kinds of uh, interesting bourbons existed. And so I went from there and, and around that same time, I was, I was thinking that I wanted to, um, get into blogging i wanted to write a blog but i didn't really have a topic up to that point um i'm a a software engineer by trade so um but there are so many you know software blogs out there programming blogs that i didn't really feel like i had anything to add to that so then i thought you know this i'm interested in this new thing and um, there's a lot of variety and there's a lot of uncertainty out there like you were saying i had the same experience i'd go to the store and there'd be a thousand bottles on the wall and i didn't know what any of them were and it wasn't, you know, reading the, the labels didn't help. And, you know, so I was thinking, you know, why not, why not chronicle my discovery of whiskey um, in a blog so that maybe other people could share, you know, those experiences. And that's, that's still what I'm doing. I'm just writing about my, my, my experience, my, my learning about whiskey as I go. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Um, you have the title Scotch Noob. But yet when you write, you write so poetically and you, you pick up tasting nuances that it's like, you seem like you're more of a master level sommelier <laughs> rather than a noob. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about that. Um, I mean, I would say I'm, I'm largely self-taught. Like I said, I, I, I watched a lot of Ralphie and um, some videos from Richard Patterson, things like that. So I had, I kind of had the vocabulary um, around it pretty quickly and i think i just happened to to be blessed with the ability to to detect you know aromas and flavors that maybe aren't immediately obvious to to everyone i and i I say this a lot when it comes to tasting whiskey like if you sit down someone down with a whiskey and put it in front of them and you say the word green apple and then have them smell and taste it like they're gonna they're gonna swear that the whole thing is just laden in green apple right so it's, it's not only is it so subjective but it's really easy um to be influenced um, by that subjectivity yeah. and um, you know so I, I, I fear sometimes when I'm writing tasting notes 
I mean, the process is simple, right? I just pour it, I smell it, I taste it, and I write down what I smell and taste. And it takes me several minutes of just kind of analyzing and thinking, like, is that, you know, is that corn? Is that is that sweet corn? Is that cooked corn? You know, That's I, so crazy. and and eventually I settle on like the closest thing, right? Because it's not going to taste exactly like corn. Uh, you know, yeah. Right. It never never, um, but it might taste like. Um, you know, like a, a memory of a certain corn-based thing that I consumed in the past. Um, and that's as close as I'm going to get, so I write that down. Um, but I wouldn't say it's scientific. Like, if I came back to the exact same whiskey months later, I might end up with entirely different tasting notes. Absolutely. I, I That's something else I bring up a lot of times, too, is you might not like a whiskey one day, but then come back to it a few months later, and all of a sudden, it's now one of your favorites. Yeah. And whiskey is meant to be shared and enjoyed and experienced. So a lot of times it's the experience of who you're having the whiskey with that influences mm -hmm. whether you really enjoy that whiskey or not. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Sharing, now, sharing a whiskey with someone who's also appreciating it is an entirely different experience than drinking it alone. For sure. Mm -hmm. Now I, I've been doing this for uh, a few years now. I'd say it's probably been two or three somewhere in that ballpark. And, uh, again, largely influenced by, um, by your recommendations. Um, but even after all of this, I still, I, I'm, I can't pick up all these tasting notes that you do. And it's, it drives me crazy. Cause it's like, I've been, I enjoy the whiskeys, but I can't describe them in the levels that, that you're able to do at times. But when you're, when I read, like I started getting out of the habit of reading your full review first, just because of what you already mentioned, mm -hmm. where you're able to be influenced by subjectivity, someone saying, look for this, and you're like, ah, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I started doing is if I would just skip along and be like, all right, he says it's, it's worth trying, I'll try it. Or if it's just a whiskey I bought on my own, I'll check to see if you've done a review. But I always now I've gotten into the, the habit of trying to figure everything out on my own first, and then I'll read your review. Mm -hmm. And then I'll read your your review and like, oh crap, yeah. Now now I'm getting a little bit of that tasting note he's saying. And of course, then there's other times I'm like, I don't know what the heck this guy's talking about. <laughs> yeah, I might expect that. So, you know, like this guy said, he said he's he's tasting cotton candy on the tongue. Like what? Where are you getting cotton candy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you put five people who are interested in whiskey in a room and give them all the same whiskey, they're all going to come up with different different notes. You know. Um, yeah. And the only time they're going to agree is if one of them says it first. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, yep. I, I do see that a lot with some of the guys I follow on YouTube where one guy will say something and the other guy's immediately like, oh, my God, you're so right. Mm -hmm, yeah. And then, and if it's a group of them, it's it's like the whole the whole group is in agreement. And it is funny how we're, we can easily influence the people that we're around just by subjecting some, uh, suggesting mm -hmm, something. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and actually, I want to say this: when I when I first started, I wasn't interested in um, in uh, writing tasting notes from the perspective of of a of a professional whiskey reviewer. If you read something like um, um, like the Malt Advocate or Whiskey Advocate, um, you know their reviews uh, they're consistently positive because uh, they're not really in the business of of um, telling you what not to buy. Um, uh huh. And they're, they're almost entirely focused on uh, distinct elements. So they'll talk about the green apple and the green grass and, and so on and so forth. 
and then they'll give mm-hmm. you a number. And the number is usually not all that useful in isolation. Um, you'd have to read hundreds of their reviews to even have a sense for what that number means you know, to you. To you right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure you've noticed I don't, I don't put a number on, on my reviews. And originally, I didn't even really write tasting notes. If you look at the first um, couple of months of reviews I did, like I, I talk, I'll, I'll mention flavors and, and aromas if they occurred to me. But really what I was trying to do was say, you know, this is the kind of category of thing you can expect if you if you drink it. And this is whether it's worth your money or not. That, that's, that was has always been my goal. And I, I think I've probably over the years strayed a little bit too much towards the focusing on notes and a little away from that original vision. Um, but, you know, what can you do? Well, everything evolves, you know, mm-hmm. right now, um, I would say that um, the the focus for Brolic Whiskey has always been to be whiskey reviews for the average guy, because I I do hear too many people giving tasting notes like they are a sommelier. And if you if you're brand new to whiskey, you're like, what the mm-hmm. hell does any of this mean? Yeah. And you you've mentioned a couple of guys that I personally I'm bored to tears when I hear them review (laughs) and it's for that purpose that I'm like, I've always wanted to find a channel that was more like, just tell me what, what's the main notes that I'm getting out of it. And am I going to like it? Right. And so like when you're saying, um, picking up the big notes, like, you know, is it more of a sour note? Is it more of a smokier note? You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's something that I've, I've more leaned towards. So it's, you know, reviews for average guys type of thing but who's to say that four years from now i don't all of a sudden get the palette that you have where i'm able to pick up nuanced notes and all of a sudden you know the the channel evolves to now i am giving more in-depth um reviews and things like that so can't apologize for for the things swaying i mean it's called evolution we change Mm -hmm. i mean in the future i'd love to take a sommelier class with the wizard academy but you know mm-hmm. four thousand dollars is what's holding me back <laughs> yeah that buys a lot of whiskey you could, you sure could, does you could probably learn you know a lot of what you would maybe get out of something like that with with a book and you know 15 bottles of whiskey um you know if you if you if you buy a diverse enough set of whiskeys uh, and then do enough research to know when when you're when you're tasting this one and this one next to each other that the difference is primarily from the type of cask or primarily from the strain of barley or you know what have you um, the hardness of the water things like that. Um, is there is there a book that you immediately say like this is the first one you should read? Hmm. Um, the book I recommend most I think is Dave Broom's. Did I lose you? Hello? Nathan? All right. I think I lost Nathan. I'm going to give him a call right back right now, guys. So might be done in two parts for this interview. Hi, Dave. Sorry about that. Hey, it seems like we got disconnected right as you started mentioning the book that you yeah, sorry about that. Um, so uh, I would say the best sort of general book that, that I recommend to people is Dave Broom's World Out of Whiskey. Um, okay. And that's mostly because it's such a good overview, uh, all the different categories, sort of good representations of each category. Uh, and it's really, really nicely put together. It's a, it's a nice looking book. 
Um, another one that might address what you're asking about uh, is Ian Buxton's 101 Whiskeys to Try Before You Die. Um, it's it's not it, you know it's it's great for a beginner because it doesn't doesn't go too deeply into a lot of uh, esoteric details. It really just gives you 101 whiskeys worth your time and and talks oh. about each one in enough detail that uh, that you don't feel like you need to go research it further. You know. So those um, are the two books that I'll uh, I'll make sure to add in the notes of the the podcast right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, now. I do have to ask a question. You have a top 10 that's really a top 11 on your, your webpage right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, are those accurate or have they not been updated in a while? Because I've um, never seen really change. Yeah, that's a good question. So <laughs> um, I've noticed this myself. So you mentioned my must-try um, uh, rating. There have not been very many must-tries recently. And I'm not sure why that is honestly it it could be that i just hit all the high points early and now everything i'm trying is is just necessarily um not going to beat the masters you know um or it could be that the whole because the whole whiskey industry is shifting um you know there's lots of dimensions to that shift but you know um more demand is causing uh lower supply and because of that whiskey companies that are trying to either make ends meet or, or meet their previous um, uh, revenue, previous year revenue, they have to do something about that. And, it, and it, what they do varies from company to company, but it generally always results in some kind of increase in price or reduction in quality. Um, so it could be that I haven't reviewed anything better than my favorite 10 uh, in the last couple of years because there isn't anything better. Wow. <laughs> that says a lot, man. You know, I will say there's only been a couple of times where I completely disagreed with, with one of your highly recommended. Mm-hmm. And one that's why I wanted to see if maybe your list was outdated because I'm not on board with Aberfeld E12. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Let's see. Uh, Aberfeld that's the one that's uh, primarily in, um, which blend is that? Um, Doers, is it? Yeah. Oh, what don't, tell me what you don't like about Aberfeldy. Um, I don't, I don't recall. Um, it's one of the, one of the YouTube reviews that it's ended up, the footage got deleted. Um, but both my original, time and myself were really like wow this is one this is a bad whiskey like I, it was one time where we both were in agreement but it was an agreement on the wrong end mm-hmm. and trying it on ice i don't know what the heck happened to that whiskey but that one is definitely not to be drank on ice mm-hmm. <laughs> um so what i what we do with uh, the youtube reviews that we're putting together right now is we do every the whiskey's um, neat. Mm-hmm. We always use a Glencairn glass. Mm-hmm. Um, we do neat, and then with a few drops of water, just to see if it opens it up at all. Mm-hmm. You know, have some whiskeys open up, others don't. Yep. And I know you do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the third way that we do it is on the rocks. Mm-hmm. Now, just to see, you know, I personally, so far in my limited forte into bourbons. 
what I've noticed is I tend to like my bourbons on ice Mm -hmm. versus scotch. I normally like neat. Yeah. Yeah. So ice, um, it's it's an interesting, it's a polar. Because if you get, if you get a, someone who is an actual whiskey snob in a room and you set them down and you ask about water, they'll usually agree a little water helps open up a whiskey. Um, But if you ask them about ice, they will get a look on their face. Like they're surprised you even asked. Um, (laughs) And personally, I don't add ice to whiskey unless I am specific, unless I'm thinking of it like a cocktail. Like, like sometimes I want an old fashioned and sometimes Mm -hmm. I want a bourbon on the rocks. Um, And when I'm, when I'm doing that, I'm thinking of it in term in those terms. Like it's like a cocktail. It's a refreshing drink. I don't have to think about it too hard. Uh, it's going to taste reliably the same every time, even if I'm using different bourbons. Um, you know, like an old fashioned is a good example. Like I'll often close a review of a bourbon I didn't particularly like with saying, at least you could put it in an old fashioned because it's it's hard to screw up an old fashioned. And seriously. Um, yeah, and I sort of think of ice the same way. Ice has a tendency um, in spirits to dull flavors, which is often, or at least sometimes, a good thing. Like there are flavors in certain spirits that you want dulled, especially if they're they're more inexpensive and um, have more sort of off flavors from the distillation and from the from the barrels. Um, so, you know, if you had a if you have a whiskey that you like neat when you have it on ice, it's likely to taste like less of what you like. Uh, yeah. And conversely, if you have a whiskey that you don't particularly like neat, when you put it on ice, it'll have less of those off flavors. So it can be useful, um, especially if you're looking to figure out a way to drink something you're not crazy about. It's funny. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge, like, I know some people, like, they consider Johnny Walker, like, the redheaded stepchild sometimes mm-hmm. and i i don't feel that that's warranted i think that they do make some good stuff mm-hmm. some of them are completely overpriced johnny walker blue mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh now but platinum platinum is i don't know if you've ever had that one because i don't remember seeing a review for that one I don't think i have. but J- johnny walker platinum is in my top five least favorite whiskeys of all time mm-hmm. and considering how expensive it is yep. it's a shame mm-hmm. <laughs> um that was the only bottle of whiskey that i ever had that i had to almost force myself to drink it because it was a gift from my wife <laughs> Oops. and i had to drink it on ice just to just to get it down uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Which is sad because I Johnny Walker Black is what got me into whiskey. Mm-hmm. Johnny Walker Double Black is what started getting me to start looking towards smokier whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And in the same sense as you, I jumped into the deep end with Lafroy 10. And I actually used the same words that you said. It's like it opened up my eyes to a whole new world mm-hmm. when I had Lafroy 10. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have, you had, now, have you tried the Johnny Walker or the Green Label? Yes. Yeah. I actually have a bottle of that yeah. at home right now. Yeah. That's my favorite of their line. Um, and I, I, I don't dislike the black label. I think it's kind of like, because it's so widely available and so mass produced, it's sort of easy to, um, you know, easy, easy to, to use it as a scapegoat for what's wrong with the industry. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a decent whiskey for, for an excellent price. Um, 
And then the green I like because it's it's basically the things I'm not crazy about in the black label removed. And then you just pay a little bit more for that. Um, yeah, and you get a little bit more of the smokiness, which since you said you love Lafroy, mm-hmm. I mean, yep. you got to love the fact that it's got the, the Kulila in it. And uh, I believe, is it Talisker that's also in it? Probably. They're, they're both Diageo um, distilleries. Uh, I know there's uh, it's a four blend. I, I was looking it up the other day and I was like, oh, that would explain why I do like this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but have what about the double black? What's your opinion on that one? The only time I had it was at a whiskey show. Um, and whenever you have whiskeys at whiskey shows, uh, the first two or three you have coherent notes on and then everything after that is just... <laughs> useless <laughs> um, I, I have wow this is like a, that's a perfect segue nathan because my next question was like do you go to a lot of tasting events <laughs> so uh until recently i had a um uh, a tasting group that met every two or three um months at a, at a restaurant and um that, that has ended uh and might restart at some point so that that was kind of my connection to the snobbier side of whiskey it was people who generally <laughs> ha- had more um experience than me had been had been buying expensive whiskeys for longer than i had um you know and had and had a different perspective on the whole thing than i did and it was it was useful and, and will continue to be useful if it if it keeps up um for that for for kind of keeping in touch with the higher end stuff um and uh the and then other than that i i went i've gone to a few um whiskey fests i think two or three and i've gone to a few whiskeys of the world events um one in san jose and one in san francisco um and i've written about them on the blog but i i think that it's one of those things that if you're really interested in whiskey it's it's worthwhile to do once because you get you get access to stuff that you just wouldn't normally be able to find at a bar or find minis of and just wouldn't be able to try um on the other hand it's really difficult to get your money's worth uh you're paying several hundred dollars for a ticket usually and you know you'd be lucky to get a coherent tasting that you remember of more than of more than (laughs) eight to ten samples um, at one of these Man, you, you're basically setting up the segues after segue because <laughs> I was going to ask you if you are attending Proof. I don't know if you heard about that one, but that's the one that's at High Times in um, in Costa Mesa. Oh. Uh, they have going? over they have over 200 whiskeys there, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's not in a long time period. If you have VIP tickets, it's from one to five, and general admission is two to five. Mm-hmm. That's not a whole lot of time. So my question was going to be, how the heck do you pace yourself at big events like that? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah, because the first time I did it, I did it absolutely the wrong way. Um, I was there to try stuff that I, you know, couldn't afford whole bottles of, basically, right? So I would go to each table. Yep. I would wait in increasingly long lines um, to get a pour of whatever the best thing was at the table. And then I would drink the whole thing. And I took voice notes on my phone while I was doing it, which is, by the way, a good way to do it. If, you're, if you want to keep track of your experience at a whiskey show, uh, take voice notes on your phone and then decipher them later. But the notes after the first 10 whiskeys were just uh, you know, incoherent, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and, and frankly, useless. I'd, I'd li- listen back to them and they'd be things like, you know, this is blah, 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 12 year and it's good. It's good, I think. <laughs> 
<laughs> on to the next one, right? I mean, how is that helpful? So uh, my, my, my recommendations are spit almost everything out unless it's something that's, that you, like, you can't bring yourself to spit out. You know, if it's like a $200 bottle of something, you know, drink that. But spit everything else out um, into your glass and then dump it into the, pour, the, the buckets they have on each table. Um, Got it. And then continually drink water. Um, eat, definitely take time to eat because they, they almost always provide food of some kind. Uh, you don't have to eat, eat a lot, but enough to kind of sop up your, your first several um, um, pours. And then um, really there is no way to um, try everything. There's just never going to be a way to try everything. So you really... There's no way. You know, so it really helps if they have a map or a listing that you can look at in advance, a brochure of some kind, like Whiskey Fest for, uh, has a pamphlet and you can see, I think that you can see it on their website. Um, you know, it really helps to go through that, check off the things you really can't miss and then look at the map and figure out, you know, start on this end of the room and, and go up and down uh, to make sure you hit your high points. And then you can use the remainder of the time to go back and just browse and, and you know, try things that, that look interesting or, or hit tables that have a bunch of stuff you've never tried before. Um, I want to give you an, okay. an example of how you can waste your time at one of these things. At the most recent uh, Whiskey Fest I went to, uh, which was the 2017 one in San Francisco, um, they had a, the, the Buffalo Trace table was pouring um, Pappy Van Winkle whiskeys. And uh, I knew it was there. Uh, I knew it was going to be busy, so I intentionally avoided it. And it was a good thing because less than 20 minutes into the show, the line for that table wrapped all along the long end of the ballroom and along the short end of the ballroom. That's insane. It was, it was probably a 45-minute line, if not longer. Um, Sheesh. You know, and having paid something like $300 for a ticket, <laughs> I mean, that's like yeah. that's like a third of your time. Like That's insane. I mean, I get it. They're They're, they're you know must try whiskeys and and they're impossible to get otherwise but i you know, that's just not the way to use your, your time in a show like that i i 100 agree on that one now you said um it's whiskey fest that you went to so how many hours do they give you when you do that uh let's see there's a vip hour and then i think it's three more after that so it's something like six to ten okay and then seven to ten okay, for general so admission, and they have they have seminars. Basically, like similar to what. Okay, yeah. so it's similar to what I'd be experiencing then with uh, proof mm -hmm. that that one's coming up June second. Um, so what what's a realistic number to shoot for using your your method of all right? I I need to at least try these five mm -hmm. or at least one off of these regions, right? Like start setting up your map. But uh, what's a realistic number to expect to be able to get in a show like that? Uh, I think you could reliably get uh, a good experience with 10 to 12 whiskeys. And then you can probably... So at the at that whiskey fest I just mentioned, and at this point I'd been to several of these, so I sort of knew what to expect. I knew how to optimize my time. Yeah. Um, I, I tasted 40. I wrote, I wrote it down. So I had, I had, Holy cow. Yeah. So I had 40 different whiskeys and that's including going to two, two of the seminars. Um, but like I said, I spat out probably the 34 of them. Um, Got it. Okay. You know, that was definitely my mistake at my first ever tasting. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did a Lafroy tasting event back in April and my, my uh, buddy that I went with, 
he was driving, so he didn't want to drink, so I would also drink his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the tasting notes, like you said, definitely do get skewed by the fourth or fifth one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of, <laughs> of those 40 that I tried, I only had, you know, usable um, data on the first 10 to 12. Because it's not, okay. it's not also, it's not just your inebriation. It's, it's also... Um, your palate. Yeah, your palate just gets warm right out. And especially if any of those first couple are, are cast strength or, or heavily peated, um, there, there comes a point where everything tastes exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that is exactly what I suffered through with Lafroy because we all know it's one of the most peated whiskeys out there. Right. But they were also giving uh, quarter cask mm-hmm. plus cast strength mm-hmm. plus lore. Yep. All of those are like around the 50 percent alcohol. So it was like by the time I even got to taste lore, mm-hmm. my my palate was shot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so that is one I have to revisit because I don't trust my tasting notes. Uh, mm-hmm. First time trying that one. And, and you can kind of refresh your palate with food and and like I said, drinking water in between everyone helps a little bit. Um, it, it keeps your palate from from drying out. Um, and, but but yeah, no matter what you do, you're gonna you're gonna stop being able to taste. There's so. no real like cure all though. Like you know how like when you're smelling different perfumes and colognes, they always give you the the coffee beans to refresh in mm-hmm. your nasal passages. Yeah. There's nothing that you can really do for the palate though, is there? Just water, really. Water and and, water. and food that doesn't linger. So you wouldn't want to have something spicy. Um, you know, curry would be a bad idea. Um, but yeah, you know, bread or crackers, um, you know, pretzels, pretzels, uh, cheeses that aren't too powerful. Like you also wouldn't want blue cheese, but something like cheddar would be okay. Um, and that that helps it sort of resets your palate, but it doesn't stop you from, um, from getting your palate, getting tired to the point where it doesn't discern individual flavors anymore. Gotcha. Well, just to get back onto you a little bit, um, Obviously, you, you you do the blog. You obviously do reviews on your blog as well as regular articles once in a blue. Mm-hmm. Um, is your main focus of income also whiskey influence as well? Or is this more of a hobby at this point for you? No, it's entirely a hobby. I, I'm a, a programmer, software engineer. So I my day job, okay. my day job is, is writing software for a living. Um, Got it. So the blog, basically at this point, and, and for the last several years, um, pays for my whiskey. So it, it pays for everything that I taste uh, and a certain percentage of everything that I just drink on a normal basis. Like if I'm making a cocktail, it's it's probably Got some it. whiskey I pay, paid for using proceeds from the blog. But that's it. I wouldn't be able to live on it. There's no way. Yeah. And at least it covers your operating expenses because... Uh, mm-hmm. People don't realize that it costs money just to run a website mm-hmm. and domain purchasing and all that stuff too. Yep. Now that brings me to the to the dark side of the question, which is the new laws that just got passed, <laughs> or GDPR or what GPDR. Um, well, how is that going to affect all of us bloggers? Well, there's not. I a saw ton. you did a couple of articles. Yeah, there's not a ton of great information out there, really. I mean, there's a lot of information, but none of it's great. Um, yeah. There's a lot of information that says what the, the, the policies are, what the new laws are, and what the penalties are. But there's not a whole lot of, does this apply to me out there? Mm-hmm. And 
and, and sort of the answer, the more you dig, the more you find out the answer is either nobody knows yet, <laughs> or the answer is just assume it's the worst possible case so that you don't expose yourself to the risk of, of being fined. Now, it's primarily the people who have to worry most are people who operate a business in, in, within the confines of the uh, European uh, Economic Area, EEA, um, which yeah. is mostly the, it's the EU. So soon to be minus um, England, or the UK, I should say. So those, anyone who's operating a business in those confines is directly subject to those laws. So if they violate the law, they will be subject to in, insane fines, up to 2 million euros. Um, it's a Bonkers. little less clear. Yeah, it's a little less clear how that affects businesses that operate outside of that area. Because what the law says is that you're subject to it if a, if a European Union citizen or resident um, wow. is marketed to by your company or sold to. Now, as it happens, uh, it says product or services, and it doesn't say that they have to be paid for it, which means me offering an article that I've written as content to a European Union resident means that I'm subject to this law. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and again, there, there's not a lot of information out there saying, well, if you're in this category, that doesn't apply. If you're in that category, it does. And there's no limitations. There's no business size. There's no annual revenue size minimums or anything like that. It's just everybody. Um, but what's less clear I mean, is someone exactly that's on... what they can do to you, right? Because if, if, if the EU wants to find me, I'm not an EU resident or a citizen. So they have to forward the request to the, the US government, who is either going to ignore it or they're going to honor um, agreements that have been formed in the past for similar international laws and, and, make, and, and force me to comply. Uh, and it's not clear yet who's going to do that or, or if they are, are going to do that. But I don't really want to find out the hard way. Right. I don't blame you. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, and it's kind of messed up. The wording of it is because that means even if you and I block our website from being shared in the UK somehow. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that someone can't be using a VPN or being on vacation mm -hmm. or here in the States mm -hmm. and stumble upon our website. Yeah. If you're saying that the wording basically makes it sound like we can't advertise to a resident. Well, they came to us while they were on vacation. We yeah. didn't search for them. Right. <laughs> now I have read an opinion uh, of someone who, who, looked at the, the the wording of the law and and their opinion and i guess you know this is a, this is like not legal advice is what they say so you can't mm -hmm. exactly bet on this but their opinion is that it doesn't apply to anyone who's not physically located in the eu at, EU at the time of the um interaction with the company so if they're right that means someone on vacation it wouldn't apply but it it certainly would apply to someone using a vpn service which is more and more common these days um, yeah. in, in, who lives and is a resident in and is physically located in the EU, but uses a VPN that obscures the, their origin. So they could look like they're coming from Australia or the US or China. Um, and for those people, I, there is nothing I have seen that's, that, that is, convinces me that those people aren't also covered by this law, which means you cannot say, Harry. If, you're, if your IP address is from the EU, then you can't see my site. And a, and a related thing that I've, seen some people suggest that you can't do under the law you can't say hey I, I need consent from you to advertise to you and to track you with cookies and if you say no you can't view my site 
it's actually illegal under this law to deny access based on denial of consent. That is bizarre. It is. That makes no that makes no sense on a on a content creator standpoint. Yeah. It's it's basically like you have to you have to give access to your content even if they uh, under the law um, say they aren't willing to get to get tracked. And and you know a lot of people who who don't know a whole lot about this topic you know, would react to that while saying, "Well, just don't track me. Why do you have to track me? You know, tracking is evil." Well, I mean, I'm not trying to track people. I'm not looking into yeah. your everyday business. I am not. I'm not holding your personal information hostage or sending selling it to anyone. But in order to make money of any kind to cover operating costs, you have to have advertising on your site. And there is no such thing as advertising that doesn't track. Or and there's there's yeah. there's some, but it's very limited and wouldn't wouldn't pay enough to to justify. Yeah, it. everyone's a, like an Amazon affiliate at, of some sort. Right. And so using Amazon affiliate as an example, mm-hmm. you know, they're advertising on the website or you're linking to a product that you use or like. Well, at that point, Amazon is the one that's holding the, mm-hmm. the tracking cookie. Exactly. But under the law, yeah. being the website hosting the ad makes you the point at which um, at, at which you're liable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess hopefully within the next few weeks or so, we start hearing more about what we can do on our end. Because mm-hmm. uh, I did see that you mentioned um, in one of your posts that a couple of people that you actually follow because of this new law decided that it wasn't worth the hassle and closed shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to see that happening to anyone that I follow, such as you, for instance. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we get some more clear-cut answers because yeah. it would suck to see everyone just be like it's not worth it anymore mm-hmm. yeah i mean my Especially guess fun my, yeah my, my guess is that the eu doesn't intend to go after bloggers i think that they wrote the law in such a way that they could go after the likes of google and amazon um and to stop tracking on mass scales uh on a mass scale uh, at least for eu citizens um, but that they couldn't or felt like they couldn't write the law in a way that excluded small businesses and, because then that would weaken it, you know. And so they just decided to figure it applies to everybody and then we just won't go after the little guys. But, you know, yeah, I don't know if, if, if any of my listeners are young enough or old enough to, to know this one, but, you know, back in, in my teenage days, we had things like Napster and LimeWire <laughs> and we were told, they wouldn't go after the little people either on that one, that it was only for the big wigs. And then all of a sudden you find some 16 year old kid that's got a million dollar lawsuit on his ass. (laughs) I don't want to, right. I don't want to find out that's uh, that's what's going to happen with us as well as bloggers being like, well, we said it was for the big guys, but Mm -hmm. why not go after you too? Yeah. Why not pick somebody to make an example of? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, so got to cover our butts. Yeah, I'm doing my best to to um, comply with the law, um, which means an obnoxious pop up and um, check box. Speaking of, uh, you know, of course, I was going through the website a little bit just to see if there was anything I wanted to ask uh, about for the interview. Um, when going through each click, like everything I click 
if I go to a new page, like a new whiskey blog or a new article, every single time that pop-up would come back up. I don't know. Is that intentional or if it's an accidental thing? Uh, it shouldn't be. Um, it doesn't do it to me, but I, I, I'm still working on it. Um, yeah. I, I put it up there so I could test it. Um, uh, I mean, contact me after the show and I'll sure, we sure. Can work through that and make sure because it, it'd be good to have somebody else trying it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, just want to at least bring that to your attention. Of course, we could talk after. Um, but, you know, I, I do appreciate all your time and, man, your recommendations on books for us to, to check out. Is there any other uh, things that you would say that for either brand new people or experienced people that they should check out to keep themselves both entertained and educated? Um, I mean, there's tons of resources out there. There's a lot more than, than when I started. And, and when I started, there were a lot of blogs, too. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of content on YouTube. Um, but really, the best thing that, that anyone in this space can do is to find people nearby who they like and like hanging out with who they can share whiskey with. And there's lots in of person. ways to yeah, person. There's lots of ways to do that. You could find a bar that has a good selection and just, you know, meet there on a regular basis to just, you know, get get a pour of everything and share it around or pour it into little smaller glasses. Uh, or to split two or three bottles and and pour them all out. And you can either you know, there's lots of ways to do it. You could split them out into smaller bottles and, and let everyone take the uh, one or yeah. you can just, you know, just, just pour until everything's gone. Um, but that's the best way to experience whiskey and to learn about it because you, you're more likely to develop your sense of analyzing a whiskey when you can do it with someone who can, you can bounce ideas off of and who can tell you what they think. And, you know, of course there's pitfalls like we talked about before, subjective tasting and, and suggestion, but it's still better than, than doing it by yourself and reading a book. I agree. I say that's one, my number one thing is whiskey is to be shared and enjoyed. So mm-hmm. I agree. I'm, I'm always trying to find new whiskey friends local because I, I agree. I, I, there's a local bar that um, has something like 300 different whiskeys, not to mention a speakeasy as well mm-hmm. that they do tasting flights. That's one of my favorite things to do. Sure, yeah. So I agree with that as well. Now, just before we go, since you you mentioned YouTube, do you have you ever had any thoughts on doing a, a YouTube review as well, or or a podcast of any kind? Uh, I thought about it for about ten minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that for me, I spend the amount of time that I have available on the site as it is, and there's things I'd like to do, like I could improve things, um, uh, but there just never seems to be enough time to do that, and to review or, or write an article once a week. And it used to actually be more. Um, when I first started, I wrote two a week. So there was one on Wednesday and one on Sunday. Uh, and, and at some point I just couldn't keep up with it. And so Got it. I didn't want it to become a chore, you know? And so, so I, I moved down to once a week and I've maintained that uh, since, but I just, I can't see myself having the time to do more than that. And nobody wants to see me on camera anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right well um i know a couple of months back i was up in Co- um what was it santa cruz for my wife's strong woman competition mm-hmm. she plans to do that once a year we weren't able to meet up this time i know you're not too far out you're about 45 minutes from there yep. so 
hopefully next year you and I can share a dram together. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, but everyone to that is listening still, make sure they check out scotchnoob.com. That is one of the places that I started my whiskey journey on, so I still check it out on a regular basis. And, of course, you have Facebook, so scotchnoob.com is how to find you on there as well. Mm-hmm. And got anything else you want to add before we, we head off to the sunset? Uh, no, I think I'm all set. Well, then, thank you so much, Nathan. I, I had a blast. I I got to fanboy out a little bit with you, so <laughs> I appreciate your time. And uh, I'll let you know when, when the posts are live. All right. Well, thanks for having me on the Thanks show. for your time, man. All right. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.